brutality, corruption, partisanship, and violence. These are some of the words that pop up if you Google the reputation of the Uganda police force. The sad reality is that, apart from British colonialism, this problem can actually be attributed to the African leadership of post-independence Uganda. You see, to maintain colonial control in Uganda, the British had used a paramilitary police force. Independent Uganda inherited this police force and continues to use it today in what could be called a continuum of state violence. The Uganda police today stands not only as a product of the colonial legacy, but also the military culture that came out of the post-independence political climate of that country. I'm Simon Bayani, and this is Africa in Retrospect. If you've been following this series, then you will have noticed that there has been a consistent theme in our episodes. If you are new here, not to worry. The theme that has emerged and continues to pop up in our episodes is that of the colonial legacy in most of Africa's police forces. And by this, I simply mean the characteristics of modern day police forces that resemble the colonial police forces. You see, the colonial legacy in today's African police forces presents itself in many ways, but I think the most notable is how, just like in the colonial era, the police today seem to be servants of the ruling elite as opposed to being servants of the people. And the Uganda police is not exempt from this. Consider this as an example. Ugandan authorities have a long history of using so-called preventative arrest to detain opposition leaders and stave off demonstrations. I'm everywhere in chains. Wine was a front-runner in the 2021 general election. He lost President Yoweri Museveni, but claimed that the poll was rigged. He was then put under house arrest for days during the post-election period. So I want to start by saying that the issue of state violence in Uganda involves both the police and the military. But on this episode, we are only interested in the Uganda police. More specifically, this episode is going to discuss police brutality on the one hand and police corruption and other illegal activities on the other. By the end of the episode, it should be clear that police brutality in Uganda is rooted in the colonial history of that country, while the police corruption and other illegal activities can be tied back to the post-independence political turmoil in that country. One of the major forms of misconduct plaguing the Uganda police is that of using excessive force, commonly described as police brutality. And police brutality can take many forms such as beating, torture, shooting, and so forth. In the case of Uganda, and certainly other African countries, police brutality tends to be perpetrated when there are protests or demonstrations against the government. An example of this came in 2020 when 54 people were killed by the Ugandan security forces following nationwide protests over the arrest of opposition leader Bobby Wine. Another example of police brutality came in April 2023 with the arrest of 11 female opposition members of parliament who happened to be marching to the Ministry of Internal Affairs to protest police harassment. Then in October 2023, Opposition leader Bobby Wine was arrested at the airport as he arrived from a trip abroad. Later on that day, the Uganda police fired tear gas at his supporters, 
to prevent them from reaching his residence. It is important to mention here that all instances of police brutality in Uganda have been and continue to be carried out in defense of the government, or rather on behalf of the government. And this goes back to what I said earlier about the police serving the political elite as opposed to serving the people. This characteristic of the Uganda police is rooted in the colonial history of that country. Just like many others in Africa, the Uganda police is merely a version of its colonial predecessor, a sort of same monster, different name type of situation. When we look into the colonial police in Uganda, we find similar patterns of behavior as far as brutality and loyalty to the state is concerned. Created in 1899, the Uganda Armed Constabulary was the first police force in Uganda. It was of course a paramilitary police force that was meant to protect British political and economic interests as well as to suppress any African uprising or resistance to colonial rule. In 1906, the name of the force was changed from the Uganda Armed Constabulary to the Uganda Protectorate Police in a move that was meant to make it seem more like a civil police force. But despite all of that, the police force never lost its paramilitary characteristics. On multiple occasions in 1907, members of the Uganda Protectorate Police took to the field as soldiers, crushing African resistance to colonial rule. Then, in 1912, during a month-long uprising in the Lamoji district, the Uganda Protectorate Police shot and killed 100 Africans and arrested more than 400, all in the name of defending the colonial system. When the First World War broke out, Police work shifted to combating enemy forces along the Tanganyika border, now Tanzania, which was at the time a German colony. World War II, on the other hand, brought a slight neglect of the colonial police in Uganda, but the immediate post-war years saw the police getting preoccupied with troubles, uh, especially with the Baganda ethnic group. From about 1959, the Uganda National Congress, which was a predominantly Baganda organization, led boycotts and riots that undermined colonial authority. The Uganda Protectorate Police, as usual, remained loyal to the colonial masters and was used to crack down on these riots. In that same year, there were three riots in Kampala and the police opened fire at one of them injuring a few rioters in the process. In Luero, however, the police shot and killed seven rioters in 1959. By 1960, the people of Uganda had intensified their resistance to colonial rule. In the Bukedi district of the eastern province, the people took to the streets in riot over excessive taxation and other grievances. In the process, a series of killings uh, cases of arson as well as crop destruction were reported to the police. The colonial government sent 550 policemen and 30 soldiers from the King's African Rifles, which was the British colonial army in East Africa. These security forces opened fire on 13 different occasions, killing a total of 15 rioters and arresting up to 1,700. A few more disturbances took place in Uganda, all the way to independence in 1962. In all of these cases, it was the colonial police that cracked down on these riots with brute force in defense of the colonial system. Unfortunately, all the successive regimes in Uganda after independence continued with the use of the police force to curb any sort of political opposition. So the reputation of police brutality in Uganda has its origins in this history, hence the same monster, different name. Whether serving the colonial state or the independent state, 
The police in Uganda have a long history of partisan behavior and using excessive force in service of their master. The second part of this episode has to do with corruption in the Uganda police. Corruption has been one of the major problems affecting the Uganda police for decades now. In a 1998 government survey on corruption in Uganda's civil services, the Uganda police was found to be the most corrupt government institution. And then in a 2019 to 2021 survey on police corruption, the Uganda police was ranked the second most corrupt police force out of 34 African countries. Corruption in the Uganda police has undermined public confidence in the force, which in turn has created an atmosphere of fear and insecurity among the citizens. One thing closely related to this corruption and the brutality come to think of it is the issue of partiality in the Uganda police. The police force is quite partisan and very loyal to the political elite. And of course, this has to be considered within the context of the political landscape of Uganda, which brings us to the post-independence politics of Uganda and how they've led to the type of police force the country has today. Just a few years after independence, Uganda was plunged into an era of political turmoil with coups and counter-coups that marked long stretches of instability and dictatorship. During this period, the country saw a gradual shift to militarization while the Uganda police force found itself marginalized. And I think this is where the culture of corruption was started. You see, as the country became more militarized and the police more marginalized, promotions and appointments within the police depended on political affiliation, you know, whether you were for the regime or against the regime. And within this context, junior policemen who were loyal to the government were promoted very quickly without any sort of merit, and they soon broke the chain of command, reporting directly to the presidency. As the army continued to be politicized, the police force was increasingly neglected, and this began to lower the morale in the Uganda police force. And as you would imagine, as the morale in the Uganda police force continued to wane, so did the discipline begin to erode, making way for corruption in the police force. The current president of Uganda, Yoweri Museveni, came into power in 1986 and he inherited a police force that was neglected, underpaid and poorly housed. Although he increased the size of the police force, Museveni still favored the military over the police, which is understandable if we consider how he came into power in the first place. But because of all of that, the Uganda police force never really got the sort of climate it needed in order to grow and develop into a professional and democratic police force. Instead, it continued on a path of corruption and impunity, only being called upon to crack down on political opposition, oftentimes side by side, with the Ugandan military. So there you have it. Police brutality in Uganda has its roots in the colonial history of that country. While police corruption and other illegal activities can be tied to the post-independence politics of Uganda. Now, in terms of what can be done, I think it would be very difficult to strengthen institutional accountability when some of the misconduct is actually sanctioned from above, if you know what I mean. So unless there's some serious reforms or, or even a complete change of the, you know, the powers that be, 
then there might not be any hope for the Uganda police. That's all I had for you on this episode of Africa in Retrospect. I'm Simon Bayani, and I'll catch you on the next one. Cheers for now.